Please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, today's scripture reading comes from Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, all, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Maybe see it. Thanks, Martin. Well, welcome to Grace and Peace Church. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor. If I have not met you, I would love to say hi and find out more about you and hear kind of why you're here, what brought you here. So, love to meet you. Uh, Grace and Peace, we exist to bring the gospel healing to a broken world. And if you think about kind of all the brokenness, not just that is out there, but also in our hearts. We truly believe that Jesus Christ is so valuable, powerful, beautiful, and strong that it can restore our hearts. It can restore the things that have been, where we've been let down, where people have disappointed us. The areas where we need reconciliation and restoration in our hearts. And we believe that the gospel is that big. We believe that Jesus is that important. And as we turn to the book of Colossians, we're continuing in this book, we're talking about how uh, they are tempted, these people in Colossae, to leave the basic gospel teaching, the, the Jesus himself, for something else, something additional, something a little more, some secret teaching, some, uh, some kind of nice little study or something that they can do in order to get to the next level of maturity and Paul is not having it. And today the question before us in this text and that was maybe before Paul and he throws this out there maybe is this, what's worth dying for? What's worth dying for? On March 26, 1997, in San Diego County, San Diego County Sheriff's Department came upon a horrific scene. They entered a house in Rancho Santa Fe to find the aftermath of the Heaven's Gate cult's mass suicide. The victims were all dressed in identical black shirts, 
sweatpants, and black and white Nike Decades shoes. I remember this as a child as they showed video of them walking in and these people covered with blankets and you could see the black shoes with the white soles and the white Nike swoosh mark on them. Burned into my memory. This cult was a mystery religion that was a mix of end times mania, like trying to calculate when exactly God was going to come back, when the world was going to end, and so forth, and extraterrestrial communication. Yes, extraterrestrial, we're talking like E.T., yo. That's amazing. And so somehow this came together. They believed that they entered their earth bodies, they were extraterrestrials, that these were just earth vehicles, and they were to escape their bodies because they had reached the max evolutionary level above human. To do that, they must take their own lives and escape behind, into a, uh, a transport vessel, a spaceship that was trailing behind the Hale-Bopp comet. And 39 people lost their lives this way. This teaching uh, was so valuable for them, they would kill themselves for it. And here's the temptation within all of us, within our whole world. It is the belief that we are to escape the mundane through some sort of secret wisdom. You can escape your ho-hum, everyday, ordinary life through some secret wisdom. All you have to do is give me three payments of 1995, and I will get you a cassette player and it, it'll tell you everything. That is the temptation of our entire world. The thing is, is it is because we feel vulnerable. That's why lots of people do this. Lots of people get into kind of the secret teaching and to think that any of us are above that would just, would be, we'd be, we're fooling ourselves. You know, what we want to do is we want to prove that we're vulnerable. We want to shore up our standing in the world. But is there anything really worth dying for? Heaven's gate would kill themselves for it, but would they be willing to face suffering from inside and out? Is the teaching that they were getting so valuable and so wise to die for it? Are you willing to suffer for it? And Paul says, oh, this is. Look at my life. It is so valuable. Jesus is so valuable, so important, so good, so beautiful, so great. You have got to reckon with him and you can't just start with him and then go on to something else. He isn't just some entry point. The people in Col uh, the Colossians, they are facing this. They started in Christianity through the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. But they're tempted to leave because of some semi-mystic mystery teaching that was supposed to bring them into maturity. But Paul reveals that they're, that teaching, that's just basic morality. It's nothing. You know, pull back the Scooby-Doo mask and suddenly you've got the guy that was there from the beginning. It's just morality. It's just teaching you how to be good. So Paul is trying to say, and as someone else has put it, the gospel isn't just the ABCs of Christianity. No, it is the A through Zs. It isn't the door of Christianity. It is the whole house. It isn't just the tip of the iceberg. It is the Titanic sinking Leonardo DiCaprio nightmare of an iceberg. It's everything, okay? There was enough room on that door for both of them. Don't get me started. <laughs> it is the gospel. 
Jesus is everything from beginning to end in Christianity. And what Christianity is isn't just like hearing the gospel and then moving on to some self-help program. No, Christianity is learning how Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection applies to every aspect of our lives, into all of our fears, into all of our vulnerabilities, for everything that we feel insecure about. Jesus is the answer. Ultimately, what we need isn't a, isn't a good therapy program, but ultimately, our problem is spiritual separation from God and Jesus Christ is the answer. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I go to counseling. So, but counseling helps me put together life in Jesus Christ. He is so important that I need counseling. He is my reference point for counseling. So that's what is going on. And so Paul is saying, he's showing to them that the word of God, the gospel, Jesus is worth pouring out his whole life because Jesus poured out his whole life for him. He is saying Jesus is better than life. What are we facing today? We face a lot of people who say, here's true wisdom. Here's what you really need. Just be good to others. You don't have to be really super religious, but be tolerant and then everything will be all right. In the end, isn't that just superficial? It's shallow. It doesn't have any power. It lacks power. Isn't it just moralistic teaching over over and over again? Just be good and people will like you and everything else in the world will be okay. But it doesn't do a single thing to help you lift a finger to love your neighbor. It doesn't help one bit to love God. It doesn't change much. What it is is just performance. It's like you've got to perform more. You know what your problem is? You just need to work harder. Anyone ever get that one? You just need to work harder. Well, sometimes maybe we need to work a little harder. But in the end, spiritually, that isn't what gets us there. And in Christianity, it says beginning to end is Jesus Christ. That's the thing with moralistic teaching. It has no real power. It doesn't lift a finger to help you, nor does it empower you when you are tired, ridiculed, beat down, discouraged. But with the gospel, it tells us that we are going to be like the resurrected Jesus because he represents us. He's happy to have you in his home. He is with us, it says. He dwells with us. His initiating gracious relationship by the power of the Spirit is what brings us to maturity. It enables us to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness day by day. And Paul is facing a big death. He's facing a big death. See, Jim Elliott wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What can't he lose? He can't lose Jesus because Jesus won't quit on him and he won't quit on you. At the climax of our text we read, Him we proclaim, we preach warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, this is verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Jesus is what they proclaim to get people into a relationship with God. And in order to mature in your relationship with God, what does he do? 
He preaches Jesus. Christianity, so Christianity proclaims Jesus because he is truly valuable and truly wise. Christianity proclaims Jesus because he's truly valuable and truly wise. So first, he's truly valuable. So Paul, he's in prison at this time. He ends, he says, I'm in chains for this mission. This mission. It's about 62 AD. He's under house arrest, and he confronts his re- readers with this reality. He's saying, I'm willing to die for this. And yet, you're willing to abandon me, abandon this gospel for some convincing TED talker or some self-designated new age guru? He's telling them, hey man, listen, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So he's not saying that there was anything lacking in effectiveness with Christ's afflictions. Uh, in In fact, he's saying with, you know, with regard to his saving death, But let's put it this way. When Jesus appears to Paul on his road to Damascus, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So what this means is Jesus so identifies with the people that he loves that their sufferings are his sufferings. The times that you are ridiculed for your faith the times that you will die a little tiny thousand deaths every day for your faith, he is feeling it too. And so when Paul says, I am feeling up in my body the sufferings, the afflictions which was lacking in Christ, what he's saying is, in order to get this message out there, to see the church become complete, to see the church become mature, I am suffering. And Jesus feels it. That's what it means. So, so he says that he's filling up or completing what is lacking. He's not saying Jesus is deficient. He's saying that his suffering, Paul's suffering, it means that God is with him in it. And it is bringing to completion what is needed for this message to go forward. Later he says that he toils and struggles. How great a struggle, he says. He's using the word agonizomai, which is where we get agonizing from. He's putting himself into agonizing training. And he's an athletic word. He's willing to put himself under pressure for the sake of this gospel. He's saying Jesus is worth it. He's saying, God loves these people. He loves you, that he's willing to agonize over it. He's willing to agonize over it. He says that it is the will of God. It's not his own choosing that he's doing this. Who volunteers for this? Who volunteers for this? We'll go on further. And so he preaches the word of God. He's not peddling fancy talks or self-help because moralism doesn't cut it. If he was just peddling moralism, Paul would have been like, I quit. I'm out of here. You know, you know, but Paul, rather, he's singing Brandy Carlisle's, wherever your heart is, I call home, Jesus. You love the church? That's my home. I love those people. So Jesus, so he sees Jesus as so supremely valuable that all he does is preach Jesus. He's chained to a guard and, and he's preaching Jesus. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, it says this, and he describes it. Far greater labors, he talks about himself, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and uh, not like in Colorado. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. And if you've worked with people, you know they can cause anxiety. And all the while, he is like, this is what he's doing. He's chained to a guard. He's all like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He is shipwrecked, and he's all like, I just want to proclaim Jesus even to these sailors. It's incredible. He's willing to die for this. Man, you put me anywhere in a glimpse of a boat and you tell me, Vincent, go uh, get on this boat and, and tell people about Jesus. I'm like, I'm having second thoughts. You know, because I'm scared of the ocean. Paul is out there getting like bitten by snakes. There are people beating him with rods. He's left for dead. And he says, Jesus is so valuable. I'm willing to keep going. And so he does it by warning and teaching. He shows that Jesus is valuable by warning and teaching. So he says, he gives this warning. It's against plausible arguments or well-articulated, hey, I've got an opportunity for you. You just need to get three people and they will get three people. And so that's kind of what they're doing. They're like, I'm, are you ready to have your best life now? Just get three more people and give you money. I'm like, uh. and Paul's like, don't do it. Don't do it. And here's the thing. A lot of us feel vulnerable, don't we? You know, as soon as something like that kind of like uh, uh, attacks our credibility, our validity in the world, maybe something that we're good at, you feel like maybe someone's attacking you and your job performance, we want to cover up our necks, don't we? We're scared. We're anxious. You know, it, all we want to do is we want to sure up our standing or value in the world. And so what we do sometimes is, is in, in all this anxiety, what we start to do is we kind of flock to certain things. Feel insecure? You know what you need is you need some good, emotional, uplifting sort of thing. Paul is all like, no, you just you got to preach Jesus and apply that deeply. And so what we do nowadays in Christianity is... is is uh, we've given into the consumeristic mindset that what you really need... In Christianity, you want to make Jesus palatable? You know what you need? You need a rock show. And something that resembles a TED Talk. You need to get people moving and feeling. Here's the danger of that. It's built on novelty. Here's the scary thing. Do you know what happens with novelty? It's, it's almost becomes an addiction. You get one novel hit of it and you're like, ooh, that was awesome. And do you know what happens? The next time you get a little hit of that, you're like, mm, I need more. And you need more, and you need more. And, you, and, and that's the way consumerism works. And so it's late, it leaves people with like, I need a bigger experience of God. I need more of an experience of God. Paul is saying, we preach Jesus revealed in his word. That's where you find this. 
It is not in bigger experiences. It's not in replicating your youth group high that you got around the campfire and some marshmallows that was stuck in your hair. No. It is met in confessing that you need Jesus. It's not in TED Talks. It's not in radio shows. Oh, it is in Jesus. It's not in the emotional feelings. It's found in discipleship, the day-to-day walking, the day-to-day confession, the day-to-day application of Jesus into your heart. And oftentimes, though, we could also think about things like the prosperity gospel that says if you give and allow, um, I don't know, Pastor X to buy his private jet, then you will receive blessings too. You might even get your private jet. That's the secret teaching of the Bible is what they would say. But that is false. Paul is saying, I'm willing to suffer for this, not fly on a G6, okay? Like, come on. This is, this is important. And so he warns them, saying, that isn't it. The gospel pushes against moralism, well-articulated arguments, kind of the, the feelings or experiences or the novel one-time things where you're like, ah, that's it. No, he's saying in the day-to-day, it's all about Jesus. It's living life in Jesus. And so he teaches them. He teaches them the fullness of the gospel and how it applies to everything because it is the story for the world to explain God. And it explains the world's brokenness and your own brokenness. And so he says that he preaches to make the word of God fully known or heard. And that means to reprioritize the value of God, to make it number one or the priority in your life. He also says that, that this is valuable. He talks about the riches of his glory. Glory is a market term for worth at this time, is the way it is understood. And so when something has more glory than you, it was worth or more glory than something else, it was worth more. So if you have a chunk of gold versus a chunk of, um, let's say, plastic, the gold has more glory than the piece of plastic. Let me put it another way. If uh, my friend Joe Robinson, who uh, stands about six foot tall and is about 240, pounds or so runs at me at full speed he's going to knock me over and I'm going to hurt why because in a certain sense Joe has a lot more glory than I do it makes sense Another way of putting it is if I were to go into my bathtub and drop a bowling ball into a full bathtub first my wife will call the call the 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 uh the cuckoo police because there's something wrong with me but i threw a bowling ball in there it would displace the water because the bowling ball has more glory than the water and so he says he wants you to know the riches of his glory his worth or value and he says and what is the riches of his glory it is this it is christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, God dwelling in you, the person of Jesus Christ taking up residence in your heart is the hope, gives you the hope of glory that you will be like him, transformed, and you will be made imperishable. You will no longer be vulnerable to all those little attacks, all those little insecurities that you feel every day, 
No, in Jesus you're made strong and sure and powerful and no, no giant uh, attack will ever knock you over. No insecurity will be more glorious than the glory you have of being loved by Jesus Christ. And so how do we do this? How do we see God as valuable? How do we see Jesus as valuable? And one of the things is loving the things God loves. And we could do that by giving to the things that God loves. Giving our time, talents, our resources, our money to the things that God loves. So when we give what God, to what God loves, you display a heart secure in his love for you. Meaning that you show your securities not in the money in your hands, but rather it is in whose hands that you're in. It also gives you the power to die little deaths every day. When you value Jesus as your security in him, you could die a little. You could be vulnerable with people. You could show them that, that sometimes I'm scared, man. I've got doubts. I look in the mirror and I'm, I don't know if this person can do it. I don't know if this person's capable of starting a church. And so what we could do is we could also die to always being right. We can die to always insisting on our way. We could die the little death of giving just a little bit. We can give to charity. You could die to confess to others because the verdict on your life and value is in. You've got the hope of glory. You've got the true value, which is Jesus Christ in you. You could face your shame because God will not abandon you ever. You could share the good news and risk looking like a complete weirdo at work because God's view of you is more important than the val- and more valuable than your coworkers' view of you. You don't always have to prove your worth because you're already valuable. You could be vulnerable. So the next thing we see, though, is that Paul shows us that Jesus is truly wise. True wisdom is in the mystery revealed. He says, this is the mystery. You want to know what the mystery is? He says, for all nations, that's Gentiles. As we, Gentiles is the word translated from ethne. If you're very smart, you've already beat me. You're like ethne, that's ethnicities. Like, so all the ethnicities, all the nations of the world finds its value it's hope in the fact that Jesus Christ is for them also. So in a nutshell, Jesus is the wisdom for living. He's the power of God made visible, revealing what God is doing in the world. He is his salvation. He is God himself come in power to save you, to love you when you feel unlovable. Maybe you know you're unlovable. But Jesus coming is the stamp and the verdict that you are loved. And so, this is why we preach Jesus. There's a series of words that is used in this text, words such as wisdom, word, Christ, and they're generally interchangeable at this moment. And so we learn here that wisdom is required required for entrance into Christianity, but it is also the power to bring you to maturity as a Christian. And what is that wisdom? Jesus. What is that mystery? Jesus. And that is why he keeps talking about the, the whole or fullness of the word, that you would know it, that you would get it. In Christianity, you will always learn the depths of God's love for you in Jesus. And it will always at the same time reveal all your flaws, all your insecurities, all your fears, 
And Jesus will still love you. Still come after you. So Paul proclaims Jesus. He warning him about the poison of sin, false moralistic approaches, and teaches us about the anecdote, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the whole of the Christian life and experience is growing in the knowledge of your sin and the grace of Jesus Christ. Or as, other, as others have said it, cheer up, you're worse off and more sinful than you ever imagined, and yet you are more loved than you ever dared dream. And so he warns them. What is the warning? It's against this mystical teachings. These, you know, like what you really need, like, like gospel, cool, gets you in. What you need is another, uh, another little hit. You need a little more. You need Jesus plus something. You know, and then he says, so he replies back as he's showing him, he's like, hey, this is the mystery hidden for ages. Not some sort of teaching, not some sort of secret manual, not some sort of thing that you could purchase for 1995. No, here it is. There's no need for additional special revelation. There's no need, he says, for new info. Jesus is the beginning and the end. John will say he's the Alpha and the Omega. Yahweh says to Moses in Exodus, 9, in, in Exodus 6, he says this, he's, Exodus 3. Exodus 3, he says, he says uh, as I was with your fathers, I will be with you. I will be. And what he's saying is, Yahweh is saying at that moment, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And Jesus, when he says, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. The person who took the Jews out of slavery in Egypt is the same person who could take you out of the slavery of your sins. Because he is Jesus. Same person. And he says, what is this mystery? It is not to elevate yourself out of the mundane by following simple steps. No, the mystery is Christ in you. He does not say spirit. And there's a reason why he does not say spirit like Ephesians 2 or 1 Corinthians 6. You know, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why does he not say that? It's because there was probably a belief. It's like, you got Jesus? You know what you need now? You need a hit of the spirit. Come over here, and now you need to be blessed in the Spirit. That is this kind of second-tier teaching. It creates two-tiered Christianity. But rather, what Paul is saying, no, you've got the real deal. You've got it all. That's why he wants you to understand the knowledge of the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. And so that's why he doesn't say the Spirit in you, oh, no. It is Christ in you. Assurance comes from understanding the depths of God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he tells us, here's the teaching. Here's how he teaches you that Jesus is truly wise. You know, he says that you're knit together in love. Unity, and it's not selective or for those who have all the right education or ability or people who've reached a higher level of moral achievement. He says, no, the gospel doesn't exclude the down and outs, the sinners. So here's the thing. Here at Grace and Peace, there's no need to play. There's no need to hide. There's no need to put together a veneer of morality where you are put together. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus loves you right where you are. 
He's got you in the mess. He sees and knows everything. And that should be a unifying thing for rich and poor alike, Democrat and Republican. Why? Because they're both sinners. And they both need Jesus. It's unifying. And he prays that these different people from different walks of life would be knit together in love. It doesn't exclude people because of moral achievement. And then he starts to end and turns with this. Here's the knowledge of the mystery, God's mystery. He wants you to grow in it. And what does he say is the mystery? He says, which is Christ? From beginning to end, Christianity and the fullness of Christianity is not found in a systematic theology book. It is not found in some secretive teaching. It is not found in a diet program or an exercise or a special prayer. The fullness of Christianity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I struggle with on a constant basis, and I have to remind myself about this assurance that I have in Jesus and the goodness I have, is I tend to judge my standing with God on the basis of how I'm feeling about myself. You do that? And here's how it happens for me. I tend to look at things like social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, not Snapchat because that's weird. Um, and so what I end up doing, uh, TikTok, that's weird. Um, and so, so, but I see all these other churches that are going really well. And I see all these quotes from all these great pastors. And suddenly I feel vulnerable and scared and insecure, and I feel little, and I feel like a little ant that could be crushed at any moment. I feel that. And I just hope maybe, like, maybe, maybe if I worked hard enough, I can gain the right wisdom so that maybe there would be enough people, enough things, that, you know, things like grace and peace would be large, famous, and fast, and we'd have all the money and security that we need, and all the time... All the time I could see Jesus sitting there going like, no, man, I love you. I got you. And so what do I do? What do I do in those moments of vulnerability when I feel scared for my life, when I can't sleep, when I feel anxious and I've got a pit in my stomach? No, I remind myself that Jesus Christ didn't get off the cross. He didn't quit on me. He loved me. And he still loves me. And the cross says that I'm to die for. See, the problem is, is when we compare ourselves, it'll drive us crazy. But when we get the, the, get the truth of the gospel into our hearts, that we have an assurance, a security. You could be truly vulnerable, but yet truly solid as a rock, immovable. Because the truly immovable one, who, fed, who set his face like stone, like flint, went and died for you. That the verdict on your life is this. Not that you're based on your performance or how moral you are, but your value in life is based on the fact that the verdict is you are to die for. And it says, how valuable are you? 
the book of Acts says that God shed his own blood for the church. And Paul loves this church so much because it's what God loves. And so I die a thousand little deaths a day. Every time I go onto social media to look for, look for you know, a sermon illustration. Why? Because the one who loves you guys, loves the church, loves me too, died for me. So are you willing to die for what you believe? There's a, there's a should be a slide, hopefully, of, of a photo. Back in 2015, and there was, ISIS took uh, in Libya 31 men captive from Egypt. They were Coptic Christians. They were all killed because they would not reject Jesus. You see, they saw Jesus as truly valuable, worth dying for, because they knew that he died for them. Notice, though, that one is not like the others. That there is Matthew Ayariga. He's from Ghana. He was picked up along with these 30 men who were of the same church, same village, and there's one guy, Matthew, from Ghana. Upon, all, all they had to do to get out was to recant their Christian faith. And as they were dying one by one, they asked Matthew, will you recant? Matthew, we don't even know if he was a Christian until the last moment where he said, no, I will not, because their God is my God. He sees a faith worth dying for, not worth killing for, but worth dying for, because they know that there is one who took the real punishment, the real death for them. Matthew dies a martyr with these 30 other men. And that's the beauty of it. Paul is saying Christianity is worth dying for. Moralism won't lift a finger. Won't lift a finger. You know, moralism will demand that you die for it, but only Jesus is the God who will die for you. When you get to the heart that you are worth dying for, then you will have the power, the assurance that from the beginning to the end, God has got you. And you could die a thousand little deaths each day this week. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that we would see the value and worth of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of Jesus Christ as far surpassing anything in this world. And I pray that now as we come to your table that we would take it into ourselves and be transformed by it. I pray that we, your people, will embrace that you are worth dying for because you have died for us. We don't have to die because you did the ultimate death. Death for our sins. To make us one with you. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this meal, that you would nourish our faith, that we would trust you and be transformed by you. Meet us now. Help us to reject moralism, proclaim the gospel,
embrace Jesus from the heart. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We come forward for the Lord's Supper here at Grace and Peace because you are invited. You are welcome. You, can be, you are free from shame and guilt because of Jesus Christ. And he gives his body freely to you. And so we come forward where you will get bread. You can eat that. or There is a gluten-free bread up here on the table. You'll eat the bread when you get it. And then you'll be offered drink. There is grape juice on the, on the outer ring and then on the inner rings. Only the outer rings have grape juice. On the inner rings is wine. Take and drink as a, a sign and symbol that, that you trust Jesus, that that Jesus loves you and he has given himself for you. He gives his body, he gives his blood, his life for you, not because you're moral, not because you're good, but because he loves you. And if that's your confession, if, if that's what you believe, then this meal is for you. If it isn't what you believe, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he has taken your sins, if you do not profess faith in Jesus Christ, if that's not where you're at, then we ask that you observe and not take. We're happy that you're here, but we don't want you to do anything inauthentic to where you are in your spiritual journey. Because this is a meal of faith. Therefore, let us proclaim our faith is signed and sealed in this meal. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, I pray that you would meet us now in these elements, that you would nourish our faith, transform our lives, help us to be strengthened, to be more like you. Help us to have the power and the strength to die a thousand little deaths, deaths to self, to self-importance, death to self-righteousness, death to selfishness. Be here now. And as we take you, pray that we would eat toward your kingdom. Lord, we need you. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.